Welcome to the Shady Grove Radio Podcast, a production of Shady Grove United Methodist Church in Mechanicsville, Virginia. Turn your radio on, turn your radio on, and listen to the music in the air. In today's episode, we'll hear Pastor Wayne preach a sermon entitled Faith and Money, based on Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Well, today we're uh, actually uh, doing a uh, two-part series from the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount um, <clears throat> uh, called Fresh Perspectives. And um, the focus is on uh, section, and I'll kind of lay that out as we go. Getting perspective sometimes is not always easy. Circumstances sometimes don't always tell us anything. I read a story one time by Stephen Covey. And Stephen talks about a man who was um, on a train and had a young child. And um, the passengers were all on a train. And uh, the child was running up the aisle and screaming and pulling on people and just acting all up. And, you know, the people begin to think to themselves that somehow I'll do something about that kid. You know, he's not a very, that man's not a very good parent letting his kid run up and down this place like that. I mean, he ought to have some better upbringing. And so, and that just continued on, and people began to grumble. And finally, one of the passengers got up and went up to the man and said, Sir, can you do something about your child? And the man <coughs> kind of looked up from looking down. And he said, ma'am, I'm sorry. <coughs> His mother just died. And um, my mind was so tied up on all of that, that that I wasn't paying any attention, and I apologize for that. You know what happened? The perspective of those on the train changed immediately. They were more caring. They were tried to be able to be more helpful with the child and, and try to entertain the child instead of being in another perspective. It changed everything to know the circumstance that that person was in. I know you've probably found that in life too, haven't you? Where you've had times when, when you got a fresh perspective on something. So our series <clears throat> today <coughs> two-part series, for some reason I started coughing, um, is on a, a section, um, and in that section, it's about, in the Sermon on the Mount, it's about authentic righteousness. Now, I need to say, I'm just going to stop for a minute because I forgot to say this again. In advance, I want you to know that it's been pointed out to me that what must be is going on in my mind is not coming out of my lips. Like I would have a sentence 
and it would miss some words. And in my household, there has been some misinterpretation of meaning. Y'all know what I'm talking about there. It's unintentional. If it happens, or if I mispronounce a word a little bit, it's just a side effect that'll go away in a couple weeks of the treatments and the new shot I got. So I apologize. Just think of it with a fresh perspective. <laughs> so our text today is a section that begins a new section of teaching. Uh, the last one was on fasting. That ended. Now we're moving into verse 19. That This teaching goes all the way over to uh, chapter 7, verse 12. And all of y'all know that verse. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That ends this section. I'm not going to cover all of that, but I'm going to focus in over this week and next week of two parts of that section. Today you've heard one of the, the section, uh, first part of the section through verse 24. Now, here's the premise that Matthew is working out of. Matthew is speaking, and his gospel is geared toward a Jewish audience, uh, both Jews or Jewish Christians. His purpose is to be able to show uh, that Jesus is the Messiah. In this text which is called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is actually teaching uh, about what discipleship looks like in the Christian life as a follower of Christ. The premise behind that is based out of Genesis. And in Genesis, we know that God created heaven and earth. I'm not talking about how he did it. I'm just saying that's what the story is trying to say. What that says is that from then on, everything that you have was a gift given to you by someone else. You get that? It's generosity that did that. It's generosity that scouting leaders invest in scouts and the scouts invest their time to serve others as a part of their pathway of however distance they want to go toward an Eagle Scout. And so um, that is part of the premise that he's working out of. And that premise is that you're not self-made. In fact, your genes are determined by somebody else. Right? Uh, there's a lot of things that is generosity that follows you all through your life. There's people who are investing in your life. And we're called to invest in that which is last. And that's where the teaching begins with. It teaching begins with uh, Matthew's way of being a dualistic teacher. Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, if you go back to it, you'll see from the very beginning, is a very um, black and white. 
There's no middle ground for Matthew. You either are or you're not. You see that in the different verses? Don't store up treasure in, on earth, right? Store up treasure on, in heaven. Why did he say that? Because he's talking about discipleship. That discipleship means that invest in things that do not rust and a moth cannot eat. I got this problem. And I thought I could solve it. I got something eating my wool pants. I put cedar in there. I sprayed my clothes with insect repellent. I'm just kidding. But I got this thing is, I don't know what, is it a moth or something, a worm or something? I don't know. But it's eating my wool pants. Well, what he's trying to say there is don't store up that treasure because it's not going to last. This doesn't wrong me having wool pants, is it? It's not anything that he's teaching here about anything being wrong from a materialistic way. When he talks about down later, when he says the word wealth, it means mammon. He's talking to a, a Hebrew audience. That Hebrew audience looks at that word differently than you and I. The word mammon has nothing to do with money and everything to do with possessions. And how we choose to manage and deal with whatever our possessions are. It doesn't matter what our economic status is or what all of what we possess. It's about how that is being used to, as we look at this from the Hebrew mindset, this section starts what is the third pillar in, the Jew, in Judaism. The first pillar is pillar, told you I was going to mess that up. Pillar is what? Torah. The second is prayer. The third is deeds of loving kindness. That's the third. This section is talking about that. It's talking about our serve and how we can improve our serve, right? That's the basis for this. And because we have been given this and we have taken and multiplied it with our talents and gifts, like the Bible says, and now we're re we reach this challenge of how do we, as disciples of Christ, serve in a way that brings depth and meaning to our Christian life and keeps us having a fresh perspective on Jesus Christ. My coach would have said it another way. Keep your eye on the ball. You know why he told me that? When I was eight years old, I was playing in minor league. That's what they called it back then. That's minor league. It didn't have a ball shooting at you. And it didn't have anything like that. You were actually batting. And um, so I was so social, I was sitting on it. Now, we didn't have dugouts. We just had a bench. Anybody like that? 
It wasn't a dugout. We weren't fortunate folks. We just plowed a field and put a baseball diamond on it. And so Wayne was sitting there running his mouth to this other kid like I'm standing right now. A kid hit the ball off the end of the bat, foul ball. It came straight over because we didn't put our benches far enough away from the line. Is that, uh, and it hit me in the head and not flipped me over the back of that bench. And uh, the game stopped. And I had stitch marks in my head. Okay? And the coach came over and said, Son, keep your eye on the ball. <laughs> you got me? And so I try to do that. So what Jesus is seeking to teach here <clears throat> is right perspective, right relationship, and right choices on that which gives life meaning that will last. That's what it is when he's talking about rust. I mean, when he's talking about treasures or, you know, those kind of things, where to store them at, he's talking about things that'll last. Discipleships is a challenge every day in our world, in our lives, in our circumstances that we face, complex as they may be. Because they challenge us every day on our choices of how we choose to serve God with who we are and what we have, okay? It doesn't really talk about anything but that. And the reason I wanted to preach the text because oftentimes you hear it under the stewardship mantle. I'm not talking about the stewardship mantle, I'm talking about discipleship. How we live out our life with meaning and purpose and making a difference in the name of Jesus Christ out of the generosity and grace that God has shown us each and every day of our lives, whether we see it or not. Remember that these teachings that are, are meant to bring abundant life, isn't that what Jesus said, abundant life into our life? Not guilt. It's meant to lead us to choose what is eternal and everlasting. You see, the presupposition that lies right in that little kernel right there. The presupposition of the text of that God has provided all the things. Your parents made you born. I mean, all the people that's invested in your life, your teachers. I mean, every kind of intricate. Is that all that investment in your life it's all been a gift. Even your parents, when you become teenagers. And what this teaches us, that as humans, that God created, that life is not about self-sufficiency. I have a definition of self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiently is to be so arrogant to think that everything is about you. Is that fair? Huh? If you're truly self-sufficient, you don't need anybody. <clears throat> 
And if that's the case by the equation according to Wayne's world, that means you get left with yourself. That's going to be hell. You get left with yourself and nobody else? Because I've got everything I need. I don't need anybody. I don't need anything. Is that, and I can get anything I want to need. Is that, that's what I define as self-sufficiency. It's the idea that you're not serving others is that others are serving you. That's your self-sufficient. It's arrogant pride and greed, isn't it? Not love. Oh, honey, can I help you with that? Out of love, out of a relationship, all of those things. Not out of, what can I get out of this person? You know, I know a lot of people, especially when I lived in Northern Virginia, but I'm sure it's everywhere, that literally lived, believed that. How can I use a person to step up the ladder so that my title will be? I literally have met people like that. Is that, but I redeemed myself. I stopped. You see, what is presupposition is that we find meaning of our life outside of ourselves and that gives us depth and discipleship comes out of that the choice is not whether we serve but what or whom do we serve that's what the passage is pointing to you see is everybody with me so where do we find deeper meaning in our lives through the teachings of Jesus Christ? That's what they're meant for. That's what these teachings are meant for. And it doesn't give us specific one, two, three, four. But as I illustrated before, God likes to give us bumper pads. Remember I talked about bumper pads? Is that the youth are going out to bowl today, right? Yep. Y'all can use bumper pads? I can't come then. Because you have to figure it out by reading the scripture and wrestling with it and how it applies in your own life. That's a real challenge. Because I'm telling you, the complexity of the world, no matter where you are economically, it gets confusing where you draw the line between all those things, right? I think that's fair. And But it's the intent of how we go about living our lives. Jesus' perspective of discipleship is to store up that which is last, will last. It's about legacy. One of the things, as I've gotten older, I've taken a different perspective on legacy. It's not what I want to accomplish anymore. It's what legacy I want to leave behind as I have experienced life and those who've invested in me. It's that giving back out of recognition of the grace that I've received just like we talk about 
all the people involved in scouting are different things. The same is true, Jesus is saying, of a church or we as individual. Is that are we here for ourselves or are we here for others? It, Jesus makes it a little simple in the great commandment, doesn't he? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and your neighbor yourself. Bumper pads are, you figure out how to do that using my teachings. Okay? I'm not going to give you a list of one, two, three, four, five, because that'd be legalism. The spiritual path of discernment is to grow toward it. So, one of the phrases is very interesting here that uh, at, in verse 24. It uses the phrase of Matthew's dualistic, black and white kind of way of looking at things that has caused people a lot of confusion in life. And uh, remembering he's talking to a Jewish audience who understands certain words differently than how we actually translate it. It says in there in 24, when it's talking about serving two masters, love and hate. That's what he says. You and I, looking at it in English, would think about we're talking about emotions, right? Love and hate are emotions for us. Is that, But the actual word used here to the Hebrew mindset is interpreted a little different than that. You see, the biblical idea is not about the emotional love or hate. It's about... <clears throat> The idea to choose to or not to choose to something. That's what it means. It's about choice. Because I want you to know the greatest gift in life is to love by choice. Not just by emotion. Because some days... She loves me. She loves me not. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to be picking, picking no daisies. Love is a choice. I love even sometimes when I don't necessarily feel it. Always, Beth and I have always said something we discovered when we were about 40-some years old about love as a choice in any of our actions because the beauty has been we have not gotten so bad emotionally that we didn't remember the idea that God's love, as you mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13, is a, a love. When you have to have patience with somebody, oh, I'm going to tell you what, that's a choice. Right? I mean, as you listen to that list of scriptures, it's, it's amazing. So, the key understanding that is undergirding all of this comes out of the Old Testament when God said to Abraham to be, I am going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. You see, that is a principle that is at stake in the mind of the readers of that day is that undergirding, as I started off in the sermon, of understanding everything we've have been given is from somewhere else. We, we have taken with it and created like the story of the talents is what we've done with it 
with what we have been invested with and what we grew in and learned. And all of that was a gift too, by the way. So, the principle of the Christian and God's design is us to leave a legacy with our, what the interpretation in the, our Bible today is wealth, but mammon means possessions. It doesn't matter what it is. And how those are used to do what John Wesley said, to earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. That's what he said. As a guideline to the Methodist back in his day who were struggling sometimes with generosity. For Wesley, giving was a means of expressing generosity rooted in the gratitude for God's generosity and the means of fulfilling the great commandment to love God and neighbor. I have to tell you, leaving a legacy is oftentimes something about st something that just doesn't benefit you. When I served on the university as a trustee, I learned one thing about generosity and how it serves people. I was you ever know what I mean? You know, whatever, this, that. I mean, it's all sectors, whatever. You know, FedEx field or whatever it is now. I don't know. You had to have a name for everything, you know. But what I was encouraged by is people, and it, like I said, it doesn't matter who you are, that gave, <clears throat> for instance, maybe because there was a child, their spouse, their grandparents, their people they knew, whatever, they saw this great need. And let's just use an illustration. Suppose it's like um, they wanted to create a place for cancer patients to go and be cared for. And they gave this humongous gift. They put their name on it is that some people did, or some person's name. But the purpose of the gift was to be able to gather other people to come along with this signature gift so that they could do something that would make a difference where in every pe people's lives every day. I want you to know, I was not one of those people. Right? I did not have the wealth to give $45 million. I made that much in my life. But some people have been graced with being able to do that. Why? To serve people who might be like me. Now, where does that come to Wayne's world? Beth and I have been talking about what we need and what we don't need. How many of y'all just have clothes in the closet that you're in more in 20 years? All right. I, I do. I got pants. I got, man, you go through my drawers, and there's all kinds of suits and shirts. I got best. I have to have four drawers just to hold my T-shirts. 
And, and so Beth says to me, she says, you know, you never wear those things. But I did once in a one time, a long time ago. She said, you'd never be able to get in those things again. I said, well, if I had a crowbar. <laughs> and it made me realize that I am holding on to a possession that I'm not going to use that could benefit somebody else. It's simple, isn't it? It's a simplified life approach. And so, I'm not going to get rid of everything, right? But why wouldn't I get rid of those suits I can't fit? I, actually, it's mostly jackets now. I wore out the pants. And um, what about all these clothes? And You know, there's somebody who could probably need that. That's not very complicated, but that is the point of the message, you see. Is that it's not how much we have. Is the joy, meaning has come in my life is knowing that I gave it to someone who's in need. John, I'm going to end with John Wesley's quote when he talks about wealth. Wealth is an excellent gift of God answering the noblest ends. In the hands of his children, it is food for the hungry, drink for the thirsty, raiment for the naked. It gives to the traveler and the stranger where to lay his head. By it we may supply a place for a widow or a father for the fatherless. We may be a defense for the oppressed, a means of health to the sick, or ease to or of ease to them that are in pain. It may be eyes to the blind, feet to the lame, and a lifter up from the gates of death. Serving and giving can bring us closer to Jesus while providing a lasting le legacy that will never rust or moth can destroy because it is stored in the treasure chest of heaven. Amen. Come and listen in to a radio station where the mighty host of heaven sing. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. If you want to hear the songs of Zion coming from a land of endless spring, get in touch with God. And turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. And listen to the music in the air. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. And glory share. Turn your lights down. Turn your lights down. Listen to the Master's Radio Boom.